Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our diversity, equity, inclusion goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and explore new possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose. Esmond is the co-founder and facilitator of The Privileged Man. Esmond was raised in an alcoholic home and sent to Ludgrove boarding school at eight years old and then on to Eton College until the age of 18. He studied French literature at the University of Virginia, graduating in 2001. After a decade working in finance with UBS and other investment banks in New York and London, Esmond has spent the last decade living and working in Southeast Asia, where he studied the teachings of Joe Dispenza, Harry Palmer, Sidney Banks, Jamie Smart and others. Esmond is passionate about supporting men to a true state of emotional and mental health, replacing emptiness with empathy and rediscovering their sense of whole well-being, which results in the living of sovereign, deliberate and truthful lives. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. In the EDIB space, equity, diversity, inclusion and belonging, we often get to a crunch point with clients where it becomes important that the client embarks on what we call deeper work. To have effective and successful EDIB strategies, leaders have to be ready to begin their own internal work. The work is often done with teams, but how often do leaders step into the space to introspect their own privilege? This conversation, which you're about to hear, offers perhaps a different perspective around developing a growth mindset. It is a very different conversation, perhaps, to the one you will have heard with Jag Bassi, the previous episode. In this extended growth mindset conversation, we talk to a self-confessed privileged English white man of a certain age who was born into privilege, which brought along with it conditioned learning and how he became a product of his environment. Esmond Baring, co-founder of Transforming Humanity from the Top Down, shares his personal story about how he became aware of his mental health and that gave him insight into how unhappy he was with his job, his work choices, working within a gilded cage, how his upbringing held him back, how he was a product of his conditioned learning. Esmond's message is an important one, and it aligns with our message around leadership development, that to be authentic outwardly, we have to be authentic inwardly. Having access to the full spectrum of the human experience includes working on one's self-esteem, self-awareness, self-worth. To be able to model healthy behaviours, we need to access those healthy behaviours. For example, how can we be compassionate if we haven't experienced it for ourselves? And this conversation is set in the context of understanding the impact of one's own privilege. Esmond's message is an important one for C-suite leaders and everyone alike. Esmond, I'm going to invite you to introduce yourself, if that's all right. Really good to see you. 
Really good to have you here. Hi, Esmond. Lovely. lovely to have you here. Uh, hi, hi, Ishri, and hi, Cami. Thanks so much for inviting me into this conversation with you all. Uh, my name is Esmond Baring. I'm a 44-year-old man who was born and raised in the UK. I went to boys' uh, boarding schools from the age of eight through 18, and then I attended university in the United States in Virginia, after which I joined the financial services industry, uh, which I worked in for 10 years, uh, basis what I'd been raised uh, and conditioned to believe was the pathway to success, uh, to health, wealth, and happiness. And I did what I thought I should do and what I'd been raised or conditioned to believe. And I didn't enjoy my life. I was really quite a poor performer and incompetent at the work I was doing because it made no sense to me. And even though I was making money, the money was in no way a, a fair trade for the sacrifices I was making to my life. It didn't make any sense to be working for the sake of making money, but I didn't know any other way. So I stayed in a position working at a job that I really didn't enjoy um, because I didn't realize that there were other paths available to me in life. And I was made redundant in 2008 during the financial crisis and took six months out. And then I found myself looking for another job in banking, even though I couldn't stand the industry. Wow. I went back into it because I couldn't consider and perceive that there might be another path for me. I had many other interests, psychology, uh, film, mm -hmm. consciousness, uh, alternative medicine, psychedelics, but wow. it didn't seem as a possibility. <laughs> Esmond, I have, um, if I may just say something there, which is, so I was in the States last week with my cousins and we were talking about the royal family. It's kind of a parallel story, which is, um, which is why I'm bringing it up here. And my cousins were saying, well, you know, they're so privileged. They have, you know, they have nothing to complain about. They have such a perfect life. And for me, being in the royal family is kind of like being in a gilded cage. And all you know to do is fly inside that cage. And that's what I'm hearing you say here in a way. You're, all you need to do is fly inside the cage of being a banker. Well, the cage uh, was was a miserable cage and the cage was a miserable cage for me in the sense that there was no uh, connection to what I was doing. There was no connection with the people I was working for. Yeah. There was no meaning to what I was doing and there was no purpose to what I was doing other than to make money. And I've always been a very sensitive man and I was a very sensitive boy and to go into an environment where I wasn't able to be sensitive and true to who I was felt like the cage that I was being put around me. It was a cage of, of dehumanized automatons working together to make money and shareholder mm -hmm. profits. Yeah. And that wasn't a very happy place for me to be in. Clear. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people do experience that, but they continue to stay in those roles, don't they? Yeah. But I'm really interested in understanding how you broke free from, from, from those, as you know, Ishreen described it, the gilded cage, you know, and, 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 and broke, you know, because you've you've got some really exciting stuff going on right now as well. So do do share a bit about that too. The blessings of depression 
and the blessings of misery and the blessings of chronic anxiety forcing me to look inward and ask myself the question of what the hell am I doing with my life? There has to be more to life than the way I'm living it and leading it. Mm. And because of my incompetence of being a fish asked to climb, try and climb a tree, I, well, I was a fish trying to climb a tree in, in, in the banking world, being around all of these different people who had different um, motivations and ambitions than I did. So for me, it was a mental and emotional struggle that led me to ask these questions that led me to um, leave the financial services industry. I was made redundant in 2008, and then I got involved with another startup. And then during my time working at that startup, I was offered a job to move to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam by a group of Russian investors who wanted to set up an investment banking operation in Vietnam. So this was my goldfish in a bowl moment where... I could really honestly look at the way I was living my life in London, drinking too much and very, very unhappy and, and go and have a new experience. And, and, and I took that opportunity. And then I started to perceive and see that there was a world out there that I'd never even considered before. And I could start to look at things in a different way. And that opportunity lasted for a year and a half. And then a friend of mine was starting up a business in Bali in Indonesia, uh, which I took up and when it was when I got to Bali in Indonesia that I started to have a look at all the different conditioning and the beliefs that I'd held about who I was as a man as a privileged man as an English man the way I was taught to look at the world that all started to unravel a little bit and I became clearer and clearer that I was a product of my conditioning rather than deliberate choices about who and how I could be and live my life. Wow so you kind of managed to well what I'm hearing is you were forced to leave the gilded cage because depression forced you that way. And it was a blessing, but, but it, it wasn't an active choice at that time. That's right. Well, I, I, I didn't have the courage or the wherewithal or the ability uh, to consider that I could break away from the life that I'd been conditioned to live. And it was only by severe mental and emotional health struggles that led to healing and a return to my sensitivity and my ability to then direct my life in a more deliberate way to yeah. what looks like more purpose and yeah. a life that's based on joy and fulfillment and, and care and giving rather than taking. And um, This is really yeah. interesting, Esmond, because in the last episode, we spoke with Jag, um, who's uh, a senior figure in the technical world, the IT world. And he shared with us about his personal experience of developing a growth mindset to move forward in his career. You're mm. almost talking about going in the other direction to find yourself. Well, that's what it looks like to me, Ashreen. That, that, that's <laughs> what, I can what I can share of my experience is that spending you know, eight to 12 hours of my working day in an office with other people doing something that I don't care about, that I have no passion for, is a, is a, is a form of insanity for me. Mm. And I much prefer being out in nature, surrounded with people mm. that I love and care for. And I really value my relationships with my children and my partner and my friends. And why would I want to give up 70% of my life doing something that brought no value to me and my family or my community? That's the way I looked at it. Yeah, and I think that's the key, isn't it? It's what brings value 
for you personally, mm-hmm. for each of us, and for Jag, you know, he, he has his family and he has a beautiful life and he's doing what he loves doing. But that's not the answer for everybody. I think there's something about fulfillment, isn't it? It's about yeah. personal fulfillment and understanding your journey and your your place in the world and 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 exploring that, pursuing it and and being authentic with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know, finding my place in the world is I'm I'm just doing that now. I'm I'm really finding what that place is and what I know better than anything in my own experience is the inward journey because that's what I'm most first with as I've been on this long you know recovery yeah. journey in my own experience and yeah. found the way to articulate and put words around yeah. a lot of the conditioning I experienced that this is what I'm now sharing with other men because I realized that for men there's a real issue around authenticity and, and sharing these more vulnerable aspects to ourselves mm, yeah. and these thoughts that we have and that we think that we think that no one else thinks but are actually quite present at different times for, for everyone in some way shape or form yeah yeah i think that's beautiful what you said about looking inwards you know in our faith um we believe that the whole universe that we can see physically is actually tiny compared to the universe inside of ourselves. But we spend millions and millions exploring this physical universe out there. But how much do we actually spend exploring the massive universe that's inside of us? That's what makes more sense to me, Ishreen. That that really makes a whole lot more sense to me. And I've always, I've always, well, the last 10 years I've looked in that direction and I've seen that the, the world is a reflection of my in, in inward state and... It was a very miserable, dangerous, uh, unfriendly place for most yeah. of my life. And, and now I can appreciate so much beauty yeah. and serenity and peace and it's connection yeah, with others. Yeah. So, so I really resonate that, with that yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we can just talk a little bit about also what you're doing now, because I think I think you've got your own podcast, Esmond, and I know you're doing some amazing work. And, and, and the podcast itself is called The Privileged Man. Um, love to know a little bit more about that. So the the privileged man is is founded by my business partner and I, and we realised this recently. It was actually founded from a place of loneliness. Mm-hmm. We realised that having been on a journey and left the society and the country and the land that we were raised in, and we'd gone to Vietnam and to Indonesia and to Hong Kong. This is the two of us to explore uh, the world and adventure into the world and make a life for ourselves. When we got involved in the self-development and personal growth work and we started to meet deeper aspects of ourselves, we realized that a lot of the friendships we had from our past um, had changed shape and we were quite lonely. And what we realized was that a lot of men who aren't in touch with their emotional states and their ability to tap into their vulnerability and share with one another was creating loneliness. Men that were lonely in their relationships with their family, they were lonely with their work. They'd often run into their work to escape from the truth of their loneliness. So it was born from a place of how do we bring a community of men together to be honest, open and vulnerable with one another. And further to that, to then challenge one another to pull ourselves together when we may be acting out of integrity or or being dishonest with ourselves and, and other people, to challenge us to to model a, a more healthy form of masculinity, where we're generative, we're kind, we're compassionate, we're loving, but we can also be fierce and, and protective when needs be. 
So we gather weekly for 75 minutes in a meeting room. We meditate together, we ground together, and then each man has an opportunity to share his experience in the first person. We're not looking externally to blame the world for what's happening to us, but to take ownership of that experience within ourselves. And then after each man has had an opportunity to share, we open up the forum for any curiosity, any insights, any challenges or any experience that we can share with another man from the first person that might be supportive to him. And then we create this accountability partner aspect. So each man is paired up on a monthly basis with another man to support him to grow out of his current uh, understanding of life experience, to have an uncomfortable conversation, to get himself in better physical shape, emotional shape, spiritual shape, uh, to be more honest and authentic about the work he's doing. Is it actually what he's wanted to do? Is there something deeper? Is there a gift coming through that needs to be shared that he's afraid of facing because of all his responsibilities in the world with school fees and mortgage and bills to pay and all the rest? So it's yeah. a it's an emotional support group for men that are looking to do the work and grow. And this comes really to the growth mindset. Well, what does it look like to a human being that doesn't have full access to the emotional spectrum of experience? How can he ever grow and which direction does he need to grow if he can't have access to the sensitivity to grow? So in the modeling of these rooms that we hold, men can see honesty around low self-esteem. Men can see honesty around where they're seeking status or admiration, where greed is driving their decisions, where fear is driving their decisions, where shame is driving their decisions. And from that place and that softening, as the heart opens, deeper truths come through and men can really reassess what their priorities are in life and whether changes need to be made in all these areas. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And it's something that men in my experience really struggle to do. I mean, women, I do this kind of work with women, Esmond, and, and women struggle to do this kind of, to have this kind of conversation as well. But I imagine it's so much harder for a man. It seems to be. It, you know, the way I was taught to see the world is that women are these emotional creatures and men are these stoic, reserved, resilient, strong um, beings. And, and I say what a load of nonsense because what I've come to realize as I've taken my journey back into feeling is that I'm availed as, of as much sensitivity as you are, Ishreen and Kami, in, in my felt of experience of life. And yeah. That's where the beauty of life is in feeling. We're human mm. feelings. We're human beings. And if we're so focused on the doing, we're missing the point of being exactly. alive, which is to experience life. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so, I think that actually also, sorry to interrupt, Shreen, I was just going to say that I think this actually crosses cultures. Yeah. You know, I, I, I absolutely identify with what you said because my father was stoic and my mother was emotional. And when I say, you know, I learned my anxiety from my mum, but I learned my stoicism from my father. <laughs> right. Brilliant. So, well, the, uh, and this brings us to the next question. Though, but I love that, Cami. It's like, what is the inheritance and legacy that we're leaving our children? So what are we giving our children? And I'm not talking about what we're giving them in, in, in material sense. How much money are we making and what are we leaving them in our will? Well, who are we being in our lifetimes and what legacy is that living and who we're being? So with an anxious or an angry, anxious mother and an angry father, are we modeling and actually showing anger and anxiety as a way of being for these children to go and be in the world? Or mm -hmm. can we actually have a really good, long, hard, deep look at that experience and say, well, why? 
is is the experience of anxiety, my default state. Yeah. Why is my rage so uncontrollable? What can I do about this to find a degree of peace and serenity without coping mechanisms that can then allow the household and home to be one of serenity, calm, love, nurture, to then pass that on to our children? So, Esmond, I want to just go back to something you said. There were, there were a number of um, characteristics that you listed and as I was listening to those, and you said they're male characteristics, but I could equally so, say those are female characteristics. So maybe they're just human characteristics. I 100% agree. These are, these, are, these are human characteristics. And what I see in mainstream narratives, uh, there's so much focus on lower vibration emotions. And when I say lower vibration emotions, I'm talking about shame, yeah. guilt, grief, yeah. apathy, fear, yeah. anger, pride. Yeah. So these, these, these lower emotions, and, and there's, there's so much limited experience in, in mainstream news yeah. communications, social media feeds around exactly what you're talking about. So what does courage look and feel like? And are we modeling that? What does kindness look and feel like? How do we model that? What does compassion look and feel like? But mm. we can't intellectualize these abstract concepts because these are felt yeah. experiences. Yeah. So how can I be compassionate about my fellow human unless yeah. I'm able to feel compassion? Exactly. It's a complete misnomer. It makes yeah. no mm. sense unless yeah. it's, it's being experienced yeah. from the heart. Yeah. It's, um, Esmond, it's what we call the shift from the red zone to the green zone. So all those feelings Love and emotions it. are red zone feelings, aren't they? Shame, humiliation, worry, anger, frustration, anxiety. Um, and I guess, you know, somebody told me an interesting fact about this, which is that 96% of humans live in that red zone at any one time, which is really sad. Before you leave, remember to give us a like, a follow on your favourite podcast platform. And remember, you can send us your thoughts, your questions, your reflections on the episode or previous episodes. And if you feel ready to explore your own privilege, then go ahead and complete the privilege survey. It will be quite an experience. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.